morning. Go ahead and turn in your uh, bulletins or Bibles to Luke 1. We'll be looking at uh, Luke 1, 26 through 38 this morning. This is the final Sunday in Advent, and, and welcome to all who've joined us uh, for this final Advent Sunday. Uh, those visiting from out of town, those still in town, uh, welcome to Emmanuel. Uh, we're so glad to have you. Um, so the season of Advent, um, for those who aren't familiar, um, is, this, is the season in the church, uh, for the church when we actively prepare for the return of Christ, and we're also celebrating that He has come as King. And um, as I said right before the service, we're caught in the tension between the time when Jesus came as king the first time um, to live a human life, uh, to, to, to die uh, a death at the hands of the Roman state, and then to, to rise in a way that historically is historically verifiable, to establish himself as king, uh, not only um, over us, but over death as well. He reigns over life and death and offers life to all those who are caught in death, which includes everybody. Um, he offers his life to everybody who is willing to receive it. And um, uh, this year's theme for the season of Advent, when we recognize Jesus' kingship, is make way for the king, where we make space um, uh, in our life. We make space. We, we turn aside from distractions. We turn aside from false allegiances. Um, and we actually make space for Jesus to establish his kingship in our life, in our personal life, in our political life, in our social life, um, uh, we, we recognize not only that he's come as king, but we actually make space through spiritual disciplines and corporate disciplines for him to make his kingdom known uh, and make his kingdom come uh, in our life, in our church, in our city, as it is in heaven. Um, and so Advent is a season where... Uh, where God rouses his people because we so easily fall asleep. He, God rouses his people out of our complacency and our drift from that kingdom so that we can be ready for it. And so there's a, there's a prayer that we use uh, in the season of Advent that uses the word stir up. And that's so often what we need. We need to be stirred up um, for this kingdom. Um, and there's a mood of holy impatience. Hey there, Mona. That's my youngest daughter. Um, so, in our final Advent Sunday, we're going to be turning to uh, the historical moment when Gabriel, the, the angel Gabriel, comes from God and visits Mary um, uh, and tells her that she's going to bear King Jesus. Um, this is also the time of year, yes, it's Advent, but, I, but the life that I live and the life that you live I know about, and that is it's the time of the year for humble, braggy Christmas letters, and... Um, and uh, maybe you've written one, maybe you received some in your mail. You know what I'm talking about, though, the humble, braggy Christmas letters. We're like, oh, <laughs> accidentally I did all these amazing things. <laughs> and my kids learned how to speak two other languages this year. And we're, meanwhile, just trying to keep it all together while we go to Europe for you know, our other trip and career successes and kid victories. Um... Uh, why do we send these letters? Why do we hate these letters? Um, why do we send around Christmas cards with absolutely perfect faces and expressions on our children's faces? But th that's actually never true. Like, when in the, year, in, in the last year has your family all been like... 
Except for the Christmas card picture. It's the only time. And yet we, we, we capture that one single half of a second and send it around to everybody and be like, this was our family. Um, I think that one of the motivations for, for humble braggy Christmas letters for two perfect Christmas cards is that we're afraid of our own ordinariness. I think a lot of us are just afraid of our own ordinariness. How many of you would be comfortable writing a letter about your real life where you sat on the couch and ate Cheez-Its? And it's just to told everybody about your actual year, the normal mundane moments. We're kind of afraid of those moments. We're afraid that that part of our life exists. We want to keep it off to the side, keep it hidden, not promote it, not talk about it. Um, mundane isn't good enough. Unremarkable isn't good enough. Um, so we choose the highlights and we package ourselves with our own highlights. Um, now, maybe I know you're too cool for the humble, braggy Christmas letter because you're over that and you're, you know what I mean? But what about social media where we like curate an image of ourselves that's not true? One of my friends said this. He says, there's my real life and then there's the life I'm presenting on my Facebook wall. Um, and, and everyone's liking that, you know what I mean? Um, very ironic and meta. Um, but what about this? What about complaining you're too busy? You're too big. I have so many things going on. Work is crazy. Why? Because you're in demand, right? You can't just, you can't just have an, a free week, a free night, because you're so busy. You have so many holiday parties to go to. Just complaining. I have so many holiday parties to go to. It's so hard. I'm so popular. Um, or maybe this, displaying books on your shelf that you don't understand, nor will you ever read again. <laughs> Or, or what about disdainful comments about things that everyone else likes? Like, how do I get that new U2 album off my phone? <laughs> you know? Have you done that? Um, I think that in our insecurity, we're afraid that our lives will never be more than they actually are. More than they are right now. We're afraid. We're insecure that our lives won't be more than they are. Um, and so we, we want to transcend we want to transcend where we're at right now. We want to be more than we are right now. And so we're afraid of who we are right now, our normal life. We, we, we sell ourselves a fiction in our desire to transcend, and then we ask others to buy into that fiction. And we do it in all kinds of subtle ways. So we pretend. Now listen, friends, listen. I need this as much as you do. We all need this message. That the kingdom of God frees us to just say goodbye to that fiction. And, and, and actually, it's the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God transcends us, we don't have to transcend ourselves. Because the kingdom of God sweeps us up in a story that is more than our life, we don't have to pretend that more is going on in our life than actually is. The kingdom of God allows us and frees us to be, to be mundane to live a mundane life, to live an ordinary life. And that's what I love about this story that we're going to look at from Luke 1. I want to tell the story of Mary and Gabriel and along the way um, just highlight three reasons why the kingdom of God makes, it, makes us free to be our ordinary selves. Um, so uh, to set the stage uh, before this story, the Israel was God's people. Um, but they were completely alienated from God. 
There was something wrong between God and Israel, and something needed to be done about it. And there were all kinds of people out there willing to do whatever it took to call God down, to make it happen so that, so that God would see lots of really important human activity and then come down and set fire to it, and, and come down and, and close the gap between himself and his people. And that was happening in all kinds of ways, way far away from Nazareth, that had nothing to do with the Virgin Mary that had nothing to do with her husband, Joseph. So if you were expecting God to, to come down in a supernatural way, you would not be looking at this ordinary town of Nazareth, and you would not be looking at the Virgin Mary, and you would not be looking at Joseph. Um, uh, so let's read uh, verses 26 and 27 and see how God actually comes. How the kingdom of God actually comes. <clears throat> in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now there's something so basic here that we might miss it, but that is that the kingdom of God is coming, and it's coming from God. The kingdom of God comes from God. There's something so freeing about that. Gabriel is standing, he says before, previously in, uh, in, in the chapter, he said, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. He, he stands in the presence of holiness. He stands ready to deliver a message whenever holiness sends him to deliver a message and, and do his bidding. And I love the contrast of like you have Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and then you have like out of the way Nazareth and offbeat Mary and Joseph where, where nothing remarkable is happening, where it's completely ordinary. So Mary, who's an ordinary woman in an ordinary place, receives a message from a messenger who stands in the presence of God. Mary didn't have to hype the presence of God. Mary didn't have to pretend or sell other people in a fiction that she was generating the presence of God. She didn't have to put on a mystique that somehow uh, she was worthy of God's attention. She was just Mary the Virgin, betrothed to Joseph, hanging out in Nazareth. And she just had to receive it. Because the kingdom of God was not from Mary, Mary being her best self. The kingdom of God was from God. The kingdom of God was from the presence of God. You see, if God is at work in the world to bring about his kingdom uh, by his initiative, we are, like Mary, just free to pray for it, free to watch for it, free to expect that it will not come from us. There's incredible freedom in that. We're off the hook from pretending that the kingdom of heaven is happening around us. We're off the hook from pretending to be transcending. Um, I learned a new word uh, this, this past month. I've been reading a book. Uh, it's a book a father is writing about his son, and he uses, to describe his son's life, he just uses the word inscape. Are you familiar with this word, inscape? I'd never read this word before I read this book. Um, but inscape is the unique inner nature of a person or object as shown... In the, in the traces of the life they leave behind. So if you're in your child's room, um, you can feel and see their inscape. Or if you're in an artist's gallery, you can feel or see their inscape. Inscape is the traces 
the unique imprint that someone leaves in their life. Um, so, for instance, this uh, uh, we were we moved into a new ministry center, and um, there's a huge blank wall um, uh, in our in our ministry center, just a white blank wall. And right before last week's open house, um, Peter Thompson swoops in, and he. Um, he puts up one of his uh, most, it's an incredible, beautiful, I hope you get to see it, beautiful work of art. It's like nine images or something. How many images is it? It's a bunch of images. And, it, and when you see this work of art, first of all, it transformed the space. It just made it look so much more beautiful and artistic, but it also left the inscape of Peter. Um, it's beautiful, and yet it's also mournful, and it's joyful, and it's gritty, and it's tasteful. And now you're all going to look at Peter and be like, oh, see all those things? He is. He is. That's the inscape of Peter Thompson. And he left it in the ministry center. And the thing is that, like, none of the staff at Emmanuel could have, done, could have come anywhere close to uh, that work of art. We couldn't, we couldn't pretend to be Peter. We couldn't pretend with our own you know, coloring books to do something that Peter did with his photography. Um, the kingdom of God breaks in from the outside bearing God's inscape. It comes in from the outside. God's holiness has a particular inscape. God's joy has a particular inscape. God's justice has a particular God-like inscape. It comes from the presence of God. And we can watch for it and we can pray for it. The witness of people throughout history that have experienced God's unique inscape, sorry about that, um, the people who have actually experienced it remark that when they come in contact with God and his unique holiness and his unique mark, often it scares them. It leaves them unsettled. That's the nature of God's kingdom. It, is, uh, it, it it's, uh, shakes up the status quo. It is not the kingdom of this world. It is bringing a new kingdom in this world, a renewed kingdom in this world, but it's shaking up the current one. And so if you're in the current one and you're comfortable and you experience the inscape of God's kingdom, it's going to shake you up. And it's a wonderful thing when it does, when holiness comes into your life, when God's joy comes into your life, it will blow you off your feet, but it will also leave you wanting more of it. It's a burning bush that will shake you up. You'll take off your shoes. And Mary, after experiencing this, it says, um, uh, when, when Gabriel gives her the message, he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. In verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at this saying. It's a natural thing to happen when you come into contact with holiness, that you're troubled at, you're troubled at the presence and the message of God even though Mary was a God-fearing woman. But then she would worship. So God's inscape does shake us up, but it's so beautiful and so good and so other and so transcendent that we do want to respond to God in worship. Um, because the kingdom of God is from God, it upsets our current plans most of the time. Because the kingdom of God is from God, it is not safe for the status quo because it comes from God. Um, it's a different kingdom than the one we're comfortable and adjusted to. And I know I've told you, many of you, this story, but when I was in D.C. and planning to stay in D.C. for some time, um, I ran into my current bishop, our current bishop, Stuart Ruck, and he just said, hey, there's, 
a group of people praying in Chicago. They've been stirred by the Spirit of God to pray for a new church to be planted in Chicago. Do you have any interest in being part of what part of their prayers? And I just remember thinking, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I've, got a, I've got a different plan. The kingdom of Aaron is moving forward. I don't want this other thing. And yet, when Laura and I began to pray, we got stirred. And it was upsetting and scary and joyful all at once. It drew us in, even though it scared us at first. And a lot of times, when the kingdom of God comes from God, one of the ways you'll know it is it will ask something of you that you don't want to give. It will, it will, it will challenge you to, to part ways with your plans and your kingdom. To, to loosen your grip on your own on your own plans, on your own perfect, amazing system. And sometimes that's going to make you look bad. You're going to have to say goodbye to the fiction that you've curated so carefully. And you have to say goodbye to the plans that feel so safe and feel so good. Because it comes from the outside, it's a different kingdom and it's a different plan. It's not one that you've generated yourself and there's incredible freedom in this. Let us begin to watch and wait for the kingdom of God as 2014 draws to a close, as we come to Christmas and celebrate the Christ child, as we look forward to 2015, the Lord may do this with our church. He may challenge us. He may challenge our plans. He may challenge your plans. He may challenge our kingdoms as he brings his own. It will be scary and it will be joyful because the kingdom of God comes from God. Secondly, the kingdom of God grows in the mundane. The kingdom of God, it starts small, it starts ordinary, and it really grows in the mundane, does it not? Don't miss verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The kingdom of God would supernaturally come in Mary's womb. There's no way around it. This is one of the glories and the struggles of Christianity, that it's so human and historic and specific. That's why if you're considering the claims of Jesus, you've got to wrestle with the historical claims. That's another sermon. In this sermon, we're looking at how the kingdom of God is going to grow in the mundane, in Mary's womb. God would supernaturally bring about a conception in Mary's womb. And from there, Mary would experience and participate in the kingdom of God. In getting tired at 6 p.m., she would experience the kingdom of God in morning sickness, in lower back pain, in contractions, in pushing, in screaming, in bloodiness, in placenta, and holding and nursing a baby, and feeding a baby, and teaching that baby how to walk. The kingdom of God would be incredibly mundane, for the next 30 plus years. It would be quiet. It would be humble. It would be human. It would be unremarkable. And yet it would be the kingdom of God breaking in to rescue his people in a way that would change the world, in a way that would shake up the kingdom of the age. But it was a mother and a child for years and years and years. This is how the kingdom of God comes. It comes in things like Mary's pregnancy. We don't have to not do mundane things to bring about the kingdom of God. 
God brings us about, and we mysteriously participate in simple responses of faith. It's humble. It's fleshy. It's mundane. It involves what Mother Teresa calls small acts done with great love. It's doing the dishes. It's changing diapers. It's coordinating volunteer schedules via email. <laughs> okay? It's listening to people who need someone to listen to them. It is ordinary and clay-footed and common and very good. That's how the kingdom of God comes in our life. We give ourselves in faith. We don't make ourselves in fiction. Because it's from God and it's for God. And so we're free to be ourselves. Most of Emmanuel Anglican Church has been this type of work. As I think about Emmanuel getting planted and launching and forming and growing as a congregation, most of the work of Emmanuel has been mundane work. Most of it's been simple follow-through done by all of us, ordinary people. I think 78% of the work has been making food for all the parties we've thrown. But then following up with that, with doing the dishes and watching children and making bulletins and making phone calls and inviting friends and talking to people and listening. That's been most of the, most of the work of Emmanuel has been that. The Lord has taken that and he's built a church off of it, of his own power, not because we've had to pretend, but because he's chosen to plant a church. After years of watching and praying, before that, the mundane work was quiet prayer. Quiet prayer that no one saw. Quiet prayer that was not broadcast on social media. Quiet prayer that was, that was simply waiting on God. And then when God chose to act, it was a mundane, ordinary response of faith, saying yes to God. Yes, we will we will come together and, and participate in the work of planting a church. The kingdom of God comes from God. The kingdom of God grows in the mundane, grows slowly in the mundane. But finally, the kingdom of God is ruled by Jesus. Let's look at verses 31 through 33. Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he will be great and called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Friends, let us not mistake what this work is all about. The ending of history, the new beginning of history, better to say, is the father honoring his son by giving him a kingdom. And along the way, we get swept up in that kingdom. But that kingdom is not about us, about our plans, about our wonderful surprise ending to history. This is about the Father honoring His Son Jesus by giving Him a kingdom. And He honors His Son with subjects that his son will then unite himself with and reign as king, reign over as king. Now, I have to tell you that this king, this King Jesus is a just and a loving king. He is a good king. He has given his life already for everyone who is a part of his kingdom. 
And he sends his presence and he sends his activity into all of the mundane situations where his people are hungry for his love. That is what he is doing right now. That is what he will continue to do. And he calls us to participate in that. When Jesus unites himself with us, he asks us and he calls us to participate with him in the spreading of his kingdom. Um, There's something that's bubbling up with our small groups that I've been hearing about. And it's really beautiful and it's really wonderful. I'm hearing a lot of the small groups from last semester and some of the people who are looking forward to leading some of the new groups that we're going to be launching in January talking about how we can love our neighbors in simple human ways that they are not currently loved. I'm hearing about going to nursing homes in Uptown, and there are many in our neighborhood. There are many nursing homes and care units in Uptown where people get almost no human attention. And I'm hearing about our small groups talking about ways that we can bring in love and human presence and art and song into these places that are forgotten, these places where we have an opportunity to participate with King Jesus in showing his love to the people that he loves. This could also take the form of helping someone move. Often when you're moving, you need help and you need hands and it's really mundane and it's really hard and it's probably what the kind of work that Jesus would participate in if he were alive right now. Letting others borrow your car. Letting others go first. Doing excellent work at your job in ways that are not recognized by your boss but are nevertheless to the glory of God. Moving into a high needs block and teaching neighborhood kids how to mow a lawn or how to swim. Spending extra time with the high needs students in your classroom. The ones with learning disabilities, the ones with autism. Who will embrace those mundane, ordinary moments? It is the people who are not afraid of the mundane. It is the people who are not afraid of the ordinary. People who have seen the kingdom of God. People who are captured, not by their own fiction, but by the glory of King Jesus and the kingdom that he brings from the outside to renew all things. This is how the kingdom of God comes. It comes from God and it grows slowly in the ordinary. And it's ruled by Jesus. I want to end today with a prayer. It's the colic for today. And I'm going to pray it over you and over us in faith that this is exactly how God's kingdom is going to come as this year draws to a close and as we look forward to 2015. As Advent closes and as we await the Christ child. This is on page 2. And I'll pray it over us one more time. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.